0: Which isn't the fourth page, but morning Grace Church, morning online. So reading from verse 18 of chapter two. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame.
1: Thanks, Martin. Uh, Well, I'm probably about to say something that you'll disagree with. Uh, I'm probably about to uh, say something that will remind some of us of hurt. I'm probably about to say something that... Uh, Our culture certainly won't like and will be closely linked to some of these situations. But I hope I'm also going to say something from God's word that uh, brings us hope and shows us God's beauty. So let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And wherever we stand with you today, we pray that you'd open our hearts to hear from you. We pray as we uh, deal with some contentious issues And look at some joyful issues. We pray that you would speak to us and change us. Show us where there is need for repentance and your grace. Show us where there's need for correction. Show us where there's need for great joy and celebration. We pray all this in his uh, precious name. Amen. Amen. The problem of being alone. Uh, I contacted my brother. Most of you know him as Crazy Uncle Ben. uh, I contacted him last week about this passage. Uh, he's single himself, and he, he's even writing a book about singleness from the Bible. Uh, here is how our interactions went on WhatsApp. What should I say for singles at the beginning of a sermon on Genesis 2:18 to 25? Uh, open brackets, marriage. He replied in capital letters and with about ten exclamation marks, it is not good to be alone. And I replied, cool, thought so, just checking. <laughs> Uh, there are uh, a couple of unhelpful things we can think when we read uh, this passage, particularly verse 18. The first is that it's not good to be single. And the second is that marriage will fix all of your problems. <laughs> well, I've got a bigger laugh for that one. Uh, so what does verse 18 mean? Have a look in your passage. Chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. On first reading, it might sound like the, the loneliness is the problem here uh, for Adam. And if that's the case, then yes, marriage is going to tick that box according to this passage. If the solution, uh, if the solution is marriage and the problem is loneliness, then fine. Uh, But you'll be pleased to know that Crazy Uncle Ben sent me a chapter from his book. I don't know if it will ever be published, but I'll let you know if it is. uh, That was far more helpful than his WhatsApp message. Uh, And he points out with the help of Christopher Ash, a well-known theologian, that solitude uh, in a loneliness sense can't be in view in this verse. Otherwise, if it's just all about loneliness, then a woman is not the necessary or even the obvious solution to Uh, loneliness. Uh, A second human male would tick that box. Uh, Even man's best friend, perhaps, a dog. I put that bit bit in, not him. Uh, In fact, this is one of the arguments that it's loneliness in view here that the liberal church uses to accept same-sex marriages. If the primary good of marriage is that it provides companionship, then same-sex partnerships tick that box, don't they? They provide a companion. But as we're going to say, a woman is given to Adam, and she compliments, she adds, she helps, she brings something different, and that is what is key here. Uh, in fact, the phrase, a helper suitable for man, even implies uh, that loneliness or solitude cannot be the fulfilling nature of a woman, because she is deliberately different. Uh, the phrase literally means she's uh, an opposite to him. In the sense that a woman was created to complement, to help, to add, to bring something that the man was lacking or needing. So woman is not the fix for loneliness, but a fix for something another man could not have brought to the table. So what is then, what is not good for Adam that is resolved by bringing a complementary person, a woman, for the man? Uh, well, the clue is actually, uh, we've seen it already in Genesis in God's design for mankind. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just flip back to chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, I don't think it's on the screen. And God says this, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's not good for man to be alone if the mandate for creation for mankind is to fill the earth. He's going to need a compatible, complementary helper to procreate, to fill and subdue the earth. And in that context, for a man to be alone, it's clearly not a good thing, is it? And a suitable helper, who is opposite yet complementary to him, well, now makes perfect sense, doesn't it, in our passage today? Together, they can subdue and fill the earth. Uh, That's why Paul in the New Testament is able to say that singleness is actually a good thing. Uh, There's plenty of people now in the world, and there's plenty still populating the world, increasing the world, that we're fulfilling this mandate. And singleness actually frees you to have your full attention on serving God alone. Uh, It may at times be more lonely, but marriage is not God's design to fix loneliness, Fellowship with Christ and his church is the repeated pattern of loneliness or companionship being fixed in the Bible. Uh, Marriage is actually a fix for an empty world that needs to be ruled over and subdued and filled. So, what does God's design for marriage look like according to this passage? Uh, We've got a number of points, so don't worry, none of them are too long. uh, And we're going to touch on a number of issues. So number one, God's design for marriage is for one man and one woman. We've already noted that God's design for marriage is specific to one marry, one man Sorry, marrying one woman. Uh, that means same-sex marriage is not a marriage in the sight of God, for it's not complementary by nature. The, the two don't complement together. Uh, they can't naturally procreate. They, they don't complement each other in any significant way uh, that makes them a suitable helper for one another. Uh, Of course, they can be very good friends, but that's where same-sex relations should stop. Uh, This also means that gender is important. It's an aspect of God's created design for all of humanity. So gender is not a gift. Sorry, Sorry, it's not a choice, but it is a gift. It's a design of God. God has created man. He's created women. They are deliberately different, and they fulfill deliberately different purposes within a marriage. Man is man. Woman is woman. She's the complementary opposite of who helps, who brings what the man lacks, by nature, not by choice. Uh, Now, this is a really hot cultural topic, um, and so I've Passed the buck, and I've asked Carl Lafferton to do a topical sermon on this on the 5th of November, uh, where he will speak on gender and sexuality. Uh, Carl will tell you himself he's not an expert in the matter, but I think we'll find he's far more helpfully thought through than most of us. So uh, we can look forward to that. But before I park that topic for now, I've said what I think uh, the Bible says on the matter. We should remember that these issues, and when they are in us or other people's lives, do not make us beyond the love of Christ, and they do not make anyone beyond our love and kindness. A homosexual practice or gender, change, gender changes are not more sinful than, say, heterosexual sex outside of marriage. Christ came to restore all for his glory. He came for a fallen world and our fallen lives, whatever that looks like. So all are welcome with Jesus. In fact, Jesus particularly sought out those in society that we weren't sure were right. So all are welcome here at Grace Church. All should be welcome in our lives because all of us are sinners and need the Spirit of God to change. So number one, God's design for marriage is for one man and one woman. Secondly, marriage is complementary and equal. Uh, Verse 18 again, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Or verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Uh, We've already thought about how the root emphasis of this phrase, help, helper suitable, has a sense of opposite to him. Uh, commentators use phrases such as just right for each other or the woman provided what the man lacked and vice versa. Together they are complete. And of course that is true sexually for pro- procreation as we've discussed uh, and that seems to be the main view here. Uh, But we also see it develop in other aspects, as we'll uh, look at in a minute, and then we see that developed all the way through scripture. But on this point, it is very important that we understand complementary roles to not mean unequal worth. Uh, Far from it, in fact. Uh, For example, the same word for helper used for the woman here is also used of God in the Bible in a few places. So Psalm 33, verse 20 on the screen. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help, same word, and our shield. A woman is far from an insignificant add-on or a lesser partner. We would never lower God's worth because he helps us. In fact, quite the opposite, wouldn't we? Matthew Henry even sees this, he's an old commentator, sees this complementary and equal nature Of husbands and wives, even in the creation of Eve, from the man's rib. He writes this. Uh, He writes, woman is, and the rest is on the screen, not made out of man's head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. Uh, Perhaps he's reading a little bit too much into the rib. But it expresses the biblical ideal for marriage, doesn't it? Equal, yet with different complementary roles. So do we respect uh, our equal worth? Do we value our husbands or do we value our wives? Uh, It's not okay to think ourselves as better than the other or or of more value than the other. You complement each other perfectly Adam, having searched through all the land, looking at all the animals, he's ruled over them by naming each one of them. He's in charge of the animal kingdom. He at last receives Eve from the Lord God himself, another creature to be looked down upon. No, rather verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It's the first ever love poem. I don't recommend it writing on your Valentine's card. But it captures the captivation that Adam has with this new woman, doesn't it? Not the same, but equal and wonderful. Flesh of my flesh. So next, number three. Husbands, your wife comes first. Now, of course, it's easy to look after number one, isn't it? Uh, But God's design for marriage is not for husbands to look to their own interests, but to their wives first. Have a look at verse 24 again. We're taking a lot from this verse today. Uh, That is why a man leaves his uh, father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Men, we leave our doting mothers and the bank of dad, and we move out and away and we look after instead uh, our wife. She comes first. We come from a position where we may well feel like number one. And we go to a position where someone else is now number one. We unite with our wives instead. Uh, we need to break our dependency and our, and our desires towards our parents. And give our all to our wives. Uh, it's a picture that goes deep into the whole of marriage. Uh, Paul shows it like this in Ephesians 5, verse 28 to 31. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave, and here he quotes the same passage in Genesis, will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, that means we put our wives first when we spend our money, or, or when we decide what hobbies we do, or how we use our time on Saturday, or how we worship the Lord together as a family. Are we therefore and serving our wives before our own needs? Have we left and cleaved? Or do we you know, deserve our time and our toys and our freedom? Uh, God's design is not for husbands to put themselves first, but to put their wives first. And that's not easy to do, but it is essential. Uh, most conversations I've had with men about marital problems can be boiled down to this sort of unwillingness on the husband's behalf to sacrifice more and more for their wives. Because they just don't think it's fair. Uh, The point of love is that it puts the other first, uh, not that we only pay the other back if they've paid us rightly. No, our duty is to serve our wives always and regardless, just as Christ did for the church, where he actually laid down his life in love for an undeserving people. I'm not suggesting wives are undeserving. Uh, The old marriage vows used to say, uh, and some of us here will have said them, that that husbands, you are to worship your wife. Uh, Simply meaning we put our wife's needs before our own, under God. Now, wives, you're thinking this is pretty good, hey? Um, (laughs) Number four, wives, your husbands come first. First. Uh, it's amazing how when you say it that way round, and that's why I did number three before number four, how chauvinistic that sounds uh, when you put it this way round. But remember what we've just said to husbands and what our role is, is to serve his wife before himself, to worship you. But it's not a license for wives to abuse your husband's love. Uh, the flip side is that your role in God's design for marriage is to trust your husband and to, uh, to lead you as a family. Uh, this is a recurrent and consistent theme in the Bible where husbands have headship within a marriage. And we're going to see it in this passage in a minute, the foundations for it, which models men having headship also in the church. It's why we have male elders here as a church. But the foundations are here. Uh, so uh, 1 Corinthians uh, it says this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul writes, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So it's not a bad thing to have a head. Even Christ has a head. But why, verse 8, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. This sort of being first in time in creation It's the same argument Paul uses uh, later in Timothy when he instructs that women are not to teach men with authority over them. And he gives the same reason, 1 Timothy 2 verse 13. Why? For Adam was formed first from Eve. This is not a punishment. This is a beautiful design by God. Where husbands serve their wives by putting them first and leading and women put their uh, sorry wives put their husbands first by accepting their leadership and we see the first glimpse of this loving design uh, as adam leads with some sense of authority as he names the woman just as he named the animals but in a way that is clearly exalting and loving towards his new life she, she's flesh of my flesh i'll name her woman Now, all this does not mean that wives stay silent in marriage. But it may mean you choose to respectfully trust your husband's decisions when you can't agree, for example. It does not mean that wives should accept violence or unfaithfulness without speaking up and seeking help. But it does mean, just as your husbands do not only put their wives first when you behave well... So too in your submission to your husband, it's not based on your husband's good behaviour. Uh, the old marriage vows used to say, and some of us would have said it, that wives are to obey your husbands. Just imagine how many marriages could be saved. If husbands worshipped their wives under God at all cost, and wives obeyed their husbands under God. Number five. Uh, marriage is permanent. Uh, verse 24 again. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Uh, the word united means literally to stick, although saying the man leaves his parents and is stuck with his <coughs> wife doesn't quite have the same ring to it. But the point is clear marriage is for life, it's stuck. It is permanent. Uh, You don't leave your parents and then leave your wife and find another one and move on again. No, you leave your parents and become united, stuck to. So much so that you're able to say we are one flesh. Uh, Jesus and Paul both use this verse in the New Testament to speak against divorce, becoming not one flesh. Uh, Mark 10 verses 6 and 9 says this. But at the beginning of creation, where we're looking today, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united, stuck to, his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Of course, some of us here will have experienced divorce, either personally or within our families, but I think I'm okay to say that it's not what any of us wanted when you first got married. Divorce is not God's design for marriage. His design is that it is permanent, and as such, divorce is always going to be painful and complicated and very messy, and it only happens after a colossal failure of trust or abuse or unfaithfulness. Uh, Divorce is permitted in the Bible in extreme circumstances, normally adultery uh, or what the uh, 1500 reformers called abandonment, which includes abuse. But it's not God's design. It's not to be taken quickly or lightly, even in very difficult marriages. Uh, Remarriage is is also not normally permitted in the Bible, again, except in the case where the other party has committed adultery or abandonment. Uh, And it all comes from this being one flesh. It's not straightforward to untangle one. You can't just move on without harm and damage. If you're in a difficult marriage, uh, then return to the promise of God that you are one flesh in him. And like sticking two pieces of paper together, if you tear them apart, it's not going to get better. You should seek wise help to restore your marriage. You can talk to me, you can talk to one of the pastoral care team, talk to a a Christian friend you know. And if you've been divorced or you're remarried, perhaps against God's design, then there may be cause for repentance, for going against God's design uh, you may be mostly innocent, and therefore there's a lot of hurt and pain from that separation. Either way, we know God is gracious. We know he forgives. And we know he will bring justice and make all things right when Christ returns. And for those contemplating marriage uh, or who are married, remember this is permanent You're not to give up. We're not to give up. We're not to stop making every effort. There's no checking out or bailing when it it just gets a bit difficult. No, we are now one flesh, united, stuck together by God's design. Just as Adam was able to say, she's from my flesh, she's flesh of my flesh. That is what we are now with our spouses. And just as Jesus does not give up on us, when we sin, nor do we give up on our flesh of our flesh when we're going through a difficult time. Uh, Number six, marriage is intimate. Uh, There is an intimate picture of marriage here. Uh, It's not just uh, procreation for practical purposes and then filled the earth, job done. Uh, It's not just equal but complementary roles of serving one another, as important as that is. That might just leave us thinking it's a very practical arrangement. No, no, there's a beauty of love and ease here in this little passage. The, The becoming of one in verse 24 is achieved through sexual union, but it's not just sexual unity that you gain through it. It's not just physical that you become one. Your whole flesh, your whole body becomes one. Just as Adam was able to say to Eve, she was flesh of my flesh, literally taken from my rib. She is me and I am her. So are husband and wife when we become one flesh. So that means physical and spiritual and intellectual and emotional, we are one. That is why sex outside of marriage is so dangerous because it unifies you as one flesh in your whole self with the other uh, having sex outside of marriage or before marriage is like gluing your whole being and emotion to another and then just ripping it all apart and then moving on and sadly our world thinks this is a great thing sleep with as many rip yourselves apart as much as you can it says Sex is a very good thing, but only in a marriage between one man and one woman. Now, of course, there is forgiveness for those of us who have sinned in this way. Uh, But it's something that does have consequences on you and those you sleep with beyond and previously. Yet sexual union that unites husband and wife is a powerful gluing by God in every way. And the beauty of this union before the sinful fall of man, as we'll see in the next chapter, is seen in the sort of implied surprise of verse 25. Have a look. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, we all know nakedness is both embarrassing and a bit shameful, isn't it? But not so for husband and wife. There's an intimacy and a love, a mutual accepting of each other, even in our less than perfect bodies and our less than perfect characters. Husband and wife are naked before one another. And there's no shame. There's an intimacy and a love, a mutual accepting. Marriage is an intimacy where you and your spouse should be one flesh, able to bear all with each other physically and emotionally and spiritually and intellectually, in a way that no other human relation should match. Uh, Of course, this does not mean if you're single, again, as I said earlier, that you're destined to loneliness. It's not about loneliness. But intimacy and that mutual serving, that accepting of complementary roles, that permanent relationship of marriage between one man and one woman is intentionally unique And it's intentionally special and to be treasured, married or not, and honored by all. Why did God make marriage so sacred and intimate and special and specific as we've seen? Well, partly because we've already seen marriage is a model for how God in Christ is going to relate to his church. But marriage is also the model which God has designed so that mankind could fulfill what? the mandate we started with, to fill the earth. This amazing picture of marriage is so important because through it we bring new life. Life enters the world through marriages. It's within God's good design of marriage that good life can come. Children are born. So we're right to be saddened by the cheapening of the family unit and of marriage in our culture. Most especially when children are brought into those situations. But we rejoice in new life, in stable, God-designed marriages. So finally, what do we learn about God from all of this? Uh, We said it before, but we'll end on this little point. Uh, It's a picture of Christ and his church. Uh, The big picture is central here when we think about Jesus A Christian marriage is to reflect the very selfless and life-giving love that Jesus has for his church, for his people. And Jesus and his love for us, his church, is to be modelled in and motivate our marriages. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus gave us his very life to forgive us. And to enter into what the New Testament calls a marriage between Christ, our groom, and the the bride, his church, us. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for us through Christ. We do not all need to be married, but every human needs to be married spiritually to their bridegroom, Christ, who God sent in love to save his undeserving church as Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is our bridegroom that we all need. And so we're showing the world Jesus in our marriages. and We're reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us when we act as God intended in our marriages and we love our spouses. And just as new physical life comes into a one-man, one-woman marriage, So new spiritual life comes through Christ's sacrificial marriage to his church for his people. That is why marriage is so sacred. So let's renew, or make for the first time, our wedding vows to the Lord Jesus as we close in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us our Bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. We accept his free grace and mercy through repentance and faith in him. Humble ourselves so that we can know and enjoy you forever. We thank you for the marriages here at this church. We pray that you would help and strengthen them, that we would put one another first and seek to model a love of Christ. For those of us from difficult marriages or divorces or remarriages, we pray that you would give us peace. May we come to you in repentance where that is right, and may we come to you for joy, for you are our true bridegroom. For each of us, may we glorify you as we seek to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.